Thomas Malone. Ian tells us about the novels she's writing and about the quiet activism on some of our TV shows. You mentioned you're a writer. What projects are you working on? I did a book about a young transgender girl who is kind of trying to find her place in... She's just kind of navigating adult adulthood for the first time and... She's just trying to sort of get her bearings straight, find out what sort of... It's kind of something that a lot of indie movies have covered, the sort of uh, after college, right, right, sort of into adulthood thing that people always talk about how our generation, our younger kids have to try to figure out the... Uh, the image of that uh, movie, San Almost Fire, keeps coming into my head. Oh. The uh, awkward stage where... I, I always kind of joke now about how I have finally gotten to the point in my life where I would rather be in bed watching TV and on a Saturday night than at a bar at like one thirty in the morning. <laughs> that, that era of life has sort of fascinated me. But so my protagonist in that is while she's sort of figuring out her transition and establishing her life, she befriends her elderly neighbor named Theodore, who is just recently divorced at the age of 70. You know, his life was supposed wow. to be you know, retirement and just kind of, you know, easy traveling, not right. not too busy. But now he's thrust into, oh, shit, what am I supposed to do with the next 20 years of my life? And the two of them sort of form a friendship and they try to navigate. I read all these articles online about how millennials or old, old Americans even in general are just so unhappy. And I think technology and a lot of that is sort of making us miserable because it's <laughs> taking us outside it's almost like taking us outside of our immediate world and thrusting us through this sort of, you know, the cell phone screen is this lens to all these other worlds that maybe aren't real. They're artificial. Uh, you know, the whole fe uh, fear of missing out syndrome. Uh, I just watched, uh, I'm doing a piece on the fire festival that just, uh, there was a Hulu and a Netflix documentary on that. The fire festival was the, it was supposed to be this big music festival in the Bahamas that, uh -huh. Didn't actually happen, but a bunch huh. of people, a bunch of kids flew there and <laughs> got stranded and there was no fest. They were promised all this luxury stuff and it was just like FEMA tents and like <laughs> rations and it was a pretty horrible, but it's just like, it's sort of, especially the Hulu documentary really wanted to use, use that whole disaster as an indictment against millennials who are uh -huh. just so laser focused on like the whole fear of missing out principle that they're, you know, they'll pay thousands of dollars to go see Blink-182 in the Bahamas, even though I would probably pay a thousand dollars to not have to go see Blink-182. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, what's the, what's the genre of this book you're, you're working on? And do you have a title yet? Uh, so it's going to be called Claire and Theodore, unless a publisher changes it. Okay. It's kind of, I, I sort of write, I guess contemporary fiction would be the All right. term. Nice. My last book, The Transgender Manifesto, was a nonfiction uh, sort of loose treaties that was a bestseller in LGBT nonfiction. And fiction is, I mean, I write a lot of fiction and nonfiction, but 
nonfiction. There's just all these. I mean, a lot of the fiction I write is basically not not quite nonfiction, but sort of based on real life. And right. I mean, it's kind of sure. That's mainstream. Turn- Mainstream, mainstream yeah. contemporary fiction. That's that's exactly what you're doing. Is you're, you're you're taking stuff that you see and know and crafting yeah. it into a story to get across maybe some points that you you care to focus on. And I mean that's kind of what Star Trek is in a little bit far removed. They were. I mean the the first series was just so radical in terms of it, it doesn't feel that way now, but just just the notion of Gene the the original Kirk and Uhura kiss was just yeah. And Uhura was the first, uh, one of the first African American characters on TV that wasn't right. a maid or. A she was on the bridge. She was crew. She was, uh, yeah. she was an uh, officer. Officer, right. They they covered all this stuff that was just so quietly radical. I, I I've Absolutely. been really ever since the Mister Rogers documentary aired a couple of months ago. You really you look back at like sort of this children's show that was supposed to be sort of, you know, something that three-year-olds watch. Like, no, this man had really sort of radical ideas about what equality was supposed to be like. And his audience was, he was trying to shape the future generation. But I think the best fiction is the stuff that really gives us something that the audience can take home and chew on for a while and see how that really applies to their real-world surroundings. That's Gene Roddenberry had these really, really set views of how he wanted the future to be. And I think... He didn't get to control that much of Star Trek from, you know, he only got the original series and then some of the movies, but his sort of core ethos of we're going to be post money, they're going to be driven by their work, they're not going to be driven by greed, and the people who are going to be driven by greed are going to be these ugly little Frankie people. <laughs> I don't recall Frankie being in the original series. Is it, were they? Were there? Well, uh, I so they weren't the original series. I right. think. I think they were introduced into the next generation early enough that he would have been involved uh, with that. Okay. I think he was only the showrunner for the first season, which uh, okay. is not a good season of the next generation. I think it's, it's a I tough like, one. Yeah. The characters were kind of wooden and they're just, you know, they're, they're just trying to learn how to <laughs> be those characters. Yeah. Riker didn't have his beard, uh, which is clearly a huge, huge issue for, no, I, <laughs> I always go back. Riker just directed, uh, Jonathan Franks just uh, directed the past episode of Discovery, and he's he's a guy who's such a good ambassador for the brand that I've constantly been trying to rethink whether or not I like Will Riker as a character. I think he's he's kind of he's kind of chauvinistic in a way that's not. I I don't really get the the big Riker appeal, but uh, I've been trying. I did a Next Generation rewatch not too long ago, and I've been trying to sort of figuring him. Figure him uh, out more as a character. I, I guess the people who really fan over uh, the next generation have different views on him. If you enjoy listening to Sci Fi Thoughts, but find it difficult to remember to check the website for new shows, get this technology from the future! Install into your phone a podcast player. Using this, you can subscribe to our podcast feed. And next thing you know, you'll be cruising around in your car with your phone plugged in, playing sci-fi thoughts, or you'll be out there jogging, or you'll be doing whatever you want to do and have your ears plugged into some cool science fiction programming. You can find instructions on lancerkind.com. 
Ian shares copious knowledge in Chapter 2 of Exploring Star Trek Voyager, an academic book about the series from McFarland Press. Tap on the link in the show notes to jump right there to Amazon. Next episode, Ian Thomas tells us about episodes versus story arcs and Deep Space Nine. The first two seasons of Enterprise and most of the original series followed that model of you don't need to know, you you don't need to have seen any episode prior in that season to watch the episode and figure out what's going on. And for the most part, most of Star Trek follows that. Deep Space Nine likes to, you know, with the Dominion War and all the Bajor stuff, you really can't just kind of jump in wherever you want.